We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking at the 1973 Gene Roddenberry pilot, Genesis 2. The year is 1987, and NASA launches the last of America's deep space probes. In a freak mishap, Ranger 3 and its pilot, Captain William Buck Rogers, are blown out of their trajectory into an orbit which freezes his life support systems and returns Buck Rogers to Earth 500 years later. Hold on a second. That is not... That is not quite right. Let's try that again. The year is 1979, and NASA is conducting a secret project into suspended animation. In a freak mishap, the project and its administrator, Dylan Hunt, are trapped by an earthquake. Dylan Hunt is returned to wakefulness 154 years later. And... He's found by these people who live in the underground NASA base at Carlsbad Cavern where he was doing his experiments. They're humans, but they're evil, and they're deceitful, and they're wicked. Or so says the mutant woman who nurses, (laughs) wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, him back to health. Oh, they'll tell you they're all nice and stuff, but really they they wage war and terror on all of the poor downtrodden people of the world. Uh, believing her completely, and, and why wouldn't he? She did nurse, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, him back to health. They escape together and return to her city, the city of the Turanians, where he discovers that they're nasty slavers with pain sticks, and just want him to use his old knowledge to repair their nuclear power plant. Before it fails, he meets with a team of insurgents from PAX, the folks who woke him up, and together they free the slaves, but he stays behind in an act of self-sacrifice. He uh, repairs their nuclear reactor, but at the same time he rigs the nuclear weapons, which nobody bothered to mention until right at the end of the film, uh, to go boom-boom. If they try to do anything with him. And then he returns to Pax. That night, the bomb goes off. And the Turanians, well, might or might not have been annihilated. Who knows? But Dylan vows never to kill again. And then he proceeds to try to get up the tunic of one of the androgynous unisex people of Pax. The end. Well, 1973, I think this may be the earliest of the Gene Roddenberry pilots. If I'm not mistaken, it's earlier than Quester. Yeah, that's right. It it's is earlier than Spectre. That is true. So I can't think of any other that he's done. Although one of our uh, listeners did comment not to. Uh, actually, I think they basically said definitely do not check out Gene Roddenberry's earlier movie, which was Pretty Little Maids in a Row. Which I don't know anything about that. Luckily, I, I have not seen. You have not seen that. That's the Rock Hudson serial killer softcore porn film. Um, <clears throat> apparently, it's based mm-hmm. on a novel. It's not a Gene Roddenberry original, but I guess he did the story anyway. We're not going to do that. It's not science fictiony enough. Although the idea of Rock Hudson being sexually attracted to women is a little bit on the science. A little fiction sci-fi, side, but a tiny bit, but not enough to uh, make the podcast. So Genesis two. I can honestly say everything I remember about this 
story, everything that I remember about this story is not about this story, except for Marriott Hartley's two navels. Mm-hmm. Everything else completely didn't remember anything. It was like watching a new show. Well, then we're on even footing because I have never seen this before. Well, first time yeah. ever. It's obviously stood the test of time that everyone just keeps watching it and rewatching it and sharing it around. But uh, what did you think? You know, I wish we had been talking about your first synopsis better because I like that one better. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and the, of course, uh, I, I was writing the synopsis, uh, the, the opening bit of the synopsis. And every time I was reading it to myself, I was reading, I was hearing William Conrad's Buck Rogers narration voice in my uh-huh. head. And I'm going, yeah, I'm going to do it. Uh, my voice is all screwed up because of this cold I've got. So I've got a little gravelly thing going. I said, it's today or never. I, it's not going to happen. But um uh, you know, I, I don't want to imply that Gene Roddenberry stole the idea from Buck Rogers, at least. Oh, we would never do that. No. no, not the Buck Rogers TV series, because, of course, no, the original serial with Buster Crabbe. But yeah, or the books even further back, which I think was a if I'm not mistaken, was a coal mine that he got trapped in with some weird gases or something. But um, uh, anyway, but, but it's not a new idea. Suspended. See the future. Rip Van no. Winkle for crying out loud. Yeah, that's true. So, um. So neither of us really remember anything about it. Um, what did you think? I mean, apart from Buck Rogers is better. There's th- this is in some ways. I uh, I really need to explain this. In some ways, this is sort of like Shada for me. And the only reason, and I know that's a very weird comparison. So let me explain that. Now you and I have talked off and on about. Why in the Doctor Who in Doctor Who fandom, Shada is just so enormously popular. It's you know, it was never properly finished. Uh, it's a Douglas Adams story. It has kind of built up this own little mystique. So therefore, it is infinitely more popular than it is good. Right. Same thing with Genesis Two. As far as I'm concerned, I had never seen this movie. I knew it existed. I had always wanted to see it. I kept seeing seeing references to Genesis two and the sequel, which I think is uh, is it's either Planet Earth or Earth two. I cannot remember Planet which. Planet Earth. Planet Earth. Um, in in issues of Starlog, uh, of course, it was Gene Roddenberry. So, and this was again back in the the that that wonderful. Uh, I, I won't call it the golden age. I'm going to call it the tin age of where there was no sci-fi whatsoever to speak of. So the idea of having anything was of great appeal to me. So that's when I was introduced to the idea of Genesis 2. And as a result, it kind of built up this enormous mystique in my head about what this show could be. And as I was watching it, I thought, okay, uh, this, wow, this, the, the only thing that I really could marvel at was the fact that uh, so many 70s sci-fi icon actors were on this show. The only one who was missing was Lorne Green. <laughs> yeah, you know, not not trying to get spoilery, but like I said, I had I had my recollections of this. And all of them Virtually all of them were wrong. I very, very clearly remember Marriott Hartley's two naval reveal scene. That is, I 
I remember that. And, and I remembered it correctly too. It wasn't just, you know, I remember the outfit, the William Ware Thice outfit she was wearing. I remember, you know, the way she did it, the kind of the set she was standing on. I remembered it vividly and I'm not a naval fetishist. So it's not like that was indelibly bonded on my prepubescent mind or something as something incredibly sexy. It, it wasn't that it just, the image just stuck with mm-hmm. me. And, and as we mentioned on a previous podcast, whether it was Quester or whether it was Spectre, I don't remember which, <clears throat> I remember this being more Star Trek, the next generation. I remember, I remember Ted Cassidy, but mm-hmm. I remember Ted Cassidy as a lumpy headed mutant who was, you know, uh, clearly he is the warrior here who has turned to the way of peace, but he's a, a Comanche, I think it was, or Apache, I forget which yeah, one. Uh, no, uh, Iroquois, I think. <clears throat> I remember which tribe it was, but. It was one of, it was an, it, it was not exactly one of the more cliche tribes. I was surprised to uh, hear Dylan Hunt pull that one out of his head. The head was one, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Everything I remember about it and everything that I remember being at about a team of people rebuilding the Earth after the destruction uh, of the planet wasn't there. I mean, that is sort of the backdrop for the people of PAX, but it's not gone into because Dylan Hunt leaves them and goes on a incredibly generic and boring 1970s sci-fi adventure i mean it is it is no different it has no uh uh, deeper concerns than an episode of fantastic journey voyage journey fantastic Uh, journey journey i mean it is exactly the same as them walking into another zone um of the island and encountering some people and and you know not not thought-provoking not not a, a parable for some facet of our society. It's just these are bad guys that are running slaves and Dylan has to get rid of them. So all, all of the, the loftier stuff that I thought was in this show, not there. And maybe it's in Earth or planet Earth. Maybe. Again, there's something else I haven't seen. Planet the only thing that I know is that it, sequel to it's this. Sequel. Yeah, except it has John, John Saxon, Saxon in it. If I'm not... <laughs> Which, you know, well. to my knowledge, John Saxon never had the porn stash that uh, Alex Kord did. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I I don't remember. I, I think we probably need to do that just to satisfy my curiosity now to see if it's any better. What amazes me is that they got a sequel. Yeah, well. Like, mm-hmm. this is not, this is just... Uh. This could be flushed down and, I mean, it's not horrible or anything, but it's just utterly unremarkable. It's, yeah, it's terribly unremarkable. And as I'm watching it, I kept thinking, if if this this is a terrible pilot. Yeah. But it does feel like a pilot. Yeah. Oh, clearly. I mean, obviously, I mean, this is the beginning of of a new story. I mean, we're seeing how Dylan left 1970-whatever. Yeah. And now... Um, he's, you know, he's, he's in a new, new time. So yeah, it, it had, it, it was, there was no question about it being a pilot, even though with the way that it sort of kind of maybe possibly ended, uh, the, the way it did. 
I, but again, I kept thinking if, if this is supposed to be a pilot. Wow, there is. I mean, uh, Spectre was more compelling than this. I mean, Quester was more compelling than this. Okay, now Quester, I think, was leap years ahead of leap years, light years ahead of of the other two. You've just invented a new measurement of time and distance at well, the same time. Well, that's – I've got to tell you, the Copyright spaceship, the Millennium Falcon, managed it in less than uh, 12 leap years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I, I – you know, of, of all of the shows that we've watched so far, Quester seemed to be the most realized mm-hmm. of the bunch. And for a pilot, you got a sense that there was – I mean, even though – okay, so even with Quester, as that was setting setting the table, shall we say. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going to use a Joe Straczynski uh, metaphor here, how he, how he likens the beginning of his shows, you know, as like setting the chess pieces in place and all that. Yeah, while Quester was doing that, at least you had the sense of some kind of a potential, some kind of a moral – uh, about the statement of humanity, possibly. But I'm, I'm watching this, and and what really kept bugging me. I'm just going to cut right to the chase on this. This is the one thing that keeps that was really bugging me about this, and that is, we've and you and I've talked about this. How with Star Trek, Gene has you know, he's always trying to push the idea that okay, maybe the having a utopian type society, maybe that is just you know, a very ridiculous Pollyanna vision of the future. But what we see with our cast of characters and the world that they come from, this is an ideal to strive for. And you get the sense, and and I've gotten this also from just many, many interviews hearing Gene as he's done the college circuit tour. And, you know, anybody can find those interviews. You just look hard enough for him. Uh, you get the sense that he really believes humanity can achieve this kind of thing. You know, then we turn around and, oh, no, we have this instead. I mean, okay, yeah, we've got two groups of people now, but... Many, we many st- groups. Well, many people. groups of people, but we're focusing on two mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of this 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 particular story. You've got the Pax, and then you've got the Terranians, and it, wow, bad people. You know, we, we really, really just just not good people. And if this is a, this really struck me as bizarre for a man who thought that you know in in a we could achieve great stuff unless he's trying to say the only way we can achieve great stuff is becoming uh, utter louses. But don't you think that that the people of Pax were supposed to ultimately be better than us? Well, they certainly didn't come off that way, did they? Not at first. No, but we were, I think, being. Intentionally, didn't you know, the audience was being misled just because we were seeing everything through Dylan's eyes. Yeah, I mean the the only real tip off we got, I thought, um, was well. First off, I remember Pax. I know they're the good guys, right? That's another thing that I do remember. I remember the name Pax Peace, and so you know I know when Marriott Hartley. Lara Ah is is saying, you know, they're evil and bad and deceptive. I immediately knew that they were not. Right? That she was right. a liar. But when she was talking about, you know, the Terranians, we have two hearts and we're superior to humans in every way. Dylan Hunt's alarm bells should have been 
going off, you know, a hundred miles an hour mm-hmm. because that's the kind of thing that, you know, the Nazi spy will be telling you the Germans mm. are superior. <laughs> you know, no matter how bad they're supposed to be trying to be uh, one of the crowd, it's when they get that opportunity to explain how much better they are than everyone else. You know, they're the baddies. Right. It um, is a bit of. Yeah. Yeah. So she did. She did tip off on that. And so and, you know, come on, we know Pax was good because Majel Barrett was there. I mean, she's never on the bad guy's side. Oh, no, Jean would never cast her that way. No, 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 no. She's always very honest, very honest looking face. Um, so, yeah, uh, the terrain. And, and I do want to say, though, in terms of a pilot, if you think about it, we did get a brief introduction to the concept that the world is different all over the place. And so, because at one point, uh, uh, Lara A says, um, Lara A, Lara A, I forget which it is. Um, she's talking about one of the people that's coming and she says, now those people's civilization, men are only allowed to be pets. So we've right. already got this enclave somewhere else on the planet where men are pets. So they're setting up the star lost. They're setting up the for fantastic journey. Mm-hmm. They're setting up this, um, the world is filled with isolated populations of alternate civilizations. And then they're setting up this 700 mile an hour tube train. It goes everywhere on the planet. Uh, yeah, apparently, yes, apparently, it, uh, yeah, it got finished before mankind decided to annihilate itself or close to it. So. so they can just hop in that thing and they can pop up in any one of these civilizations. Which will allow them to get back because, yep. again, Dylan is supposed to be, he's he's a member of PAX now, or at least he's... You know, At the end, they, it seems to be. Yeah, they've invited him. He may not be a member, so but he's certainly boinking one. Well, yeah, uh, and as long as he doesn't kill anybody... Um, try. Yeah, as long as he tries not to kill anybody, then he, yeah, he's welcome to be a member of PAX. So at least with the with the bullet train, it allows them to get back to the to uh to what will be home. Right. Although you know, I could easily see them going from station to station, and not going home in between. But you know, you could do it either way, so they can have a. They can have a multitude of different types of stories. I mean, it, they've definitely set it up for that. There, there's, there's no doubt about it that this is, this is absolutely classic, you know, the fantastic journey and fantastic yeah. journeys after this. So we have to assume that it's, um, before this, but you know, David and I did the other world. That's the same. That's the it's same the story. Thing. Yeah. You know, how do you get to a different civilization each week and. Here you go. Star Lost, which is earlier than this, if I'm not mistaken. Or contemporaneous. Ooh, I think it's contemporaneous. Oh, man, actually. That sounds right. Yeah. So Gene Roddenberry and Harlan Ellison had the same idea at the same time. Hmm. Well, sort of. Anyway. Um, but, you know, at the end, we get the bit where <clears throat> after Dylan Hunt does what and I think this is another reveal that gets held back um, intentionally about the people of Pax. That when Dylan Hunt blows up the bad guys, and I think we're supposed to derive from this that he did not set it to blow up the city of the Turanians. Because he says if Lara went back to the city like she said she was going to, she'll be fine. Right. 
And it was just meant to destroy the arsenal. It was meant to destroy the arsenal. And I said, you know, did you kill anybody? Well, a couple of guards and, you know, anybody else that was there tinkering around with the bombs. And I think it's perfectly reasonable that anyone watching this from the 20th century at the time this aired would think that his actions were 100% justified. Right. And then that's when Pax throws us that curveball. We have to ask you this one question. Did you kill anybody? Yeah, and the moment well, they asked, oh dear, okay, yeah, they're one, they're one of those people. Yeah, which again, you know, why do we have given the circumstances? Yeah, I suppose but I can it's understand. It's an interesting that. question as to whether or not, if the series goes forward, whether or not Dylan Hunt can continue to not kill, or whether or not there is an argument to be made that at some point you must you must kill. I mean, um, Star Trek Next Generation, Not you know, obviously they can kill. But uh, Data, there's the episode where he's kidnapped and kept as most a toy. Most toys. Most toys or something like that. Yeah, right? the most toys. At the end, they kind of leave it a little bit ambiguous, but he is pushed to the point of killing. Yeah. And everyone watching that is 100% on board with that, I think. You know, I mean, he, the guy's just murdered the girl and and has been you know torturing people and and whatnot and data could escape but he's relying on the fact that he would not because he would never kill anybody and in the end data doesn't kill him but it appears that he was and you know that's a that's a an, an ethical discussion that we'll probably have many times in many tv series along the way is there a point where it becomes justified and and I wonder how that would work in the PAX world because it doesn't seem to me like there's any chance of them getting out of this without killing some barbarians mm, yeah. in, in the long run. So yeah. how does that play out? It could have been interesting. Maybe it will be interesting in, in planet Earth, but it's not – we don't get a chance to really explore it here in this. Yeah, because I, I can't see John Saxon not killing anybody. I know he's such a you know it's funny about John Saxon because I remember him from so many things such as Planet Earth um and I had no idea that he was like a uh, a kick-ass martial arts oh I did guy. I did not cuz I haven't watched any of the stuff that he does that and I watched you know see him in things like the 6 billion dollar man and guest starring in shows here and there where he's just a generic baddie and and he's all right but I had no idea that he was actually a really good fighter. Oh yeah, he he studied under Bruce Lee. Well, he and gets he, cast he actually, in a lot he, of roles he, where they don't do that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, well, he he, he got a, a really great part in Enter the Dragon, but yeah, since then, <laughs> up leading leading up to that, and since then, yeah, not so much. Maybe he just he just was in Fantastic didn't. Journey. Remember, he didn't do any fighting in that. No, he didn't. I mean, he was the tough guy, but I mean, maybe a punch here and there, but. But, well, I've seen him. As, I've seen him in a number of things, quite a few things, and he. I mean, the most violent I ever saw him in anything was Six Million Dollar Man, where he was mass. Well, he was actually a robot. It's the robot, yeah. Danger, danger! Oh no, no, that, not, not that, that robot. kind. Yes. Anyway, um, okay. Couple, couple things I have here written down about this story, such as it is. I, I, I love a TV movie or a story that starts off with a line that says, my story begins the uh, day I died. And yeah. then promptly goes into a flashback to when the story really began. Right. That was so... It's, it's a fun narrative. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. 
Did you? When did your story really start? Oh, it started the day you were assigned the charge of the uh, uh, in charge of the base. But okay, fine. I suppose. Well, 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 he did say the day he died. So that is part of the day that he died. The flashback. Yeah. Mm. I suppose. I'm stretching. I'm You're really stretching. stretching. You're really yeah, stretching I know. There. I know. I'm, I'm. I'm trying to give. I'm trying to give this this thing some kind of break. I know. I really shouldn't. It's just. A, it's just a dramatic opening line. And I have it's to admit, ridiculous. I was. I was um, very surprised by it because I thought we were literally going to plunge him into the future immediately. And learn about what happened to him after the fact. Through flashback, but yeah. The, but the fact that he does it before the accident occurs, it's just like, okay, that's just... I, I, I'm not crazy about that narrative structure. I, I understand why they did it, but yeah, okay, no. Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't... I found it I found it awkward. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it created a very strange flow as far as uh, j- just, as I said, a narrative. It was, it was very awkward. Awkward. Uh, I think it would have worked better as a flashback kind of thing, like we um, sort of like we did with Buck Rogers. But in this case, it, it no, it was it. it I, I don't like this kind of shifting of point of view. I think we were all the way into the second series of Buck Rogers before we saw any flashback to his life. I think you're right. I think it was not until they had the episode where they. We're accusing him of being the guy that started the war, right? Um, that they that they did that. So, and I think that was much more successful. We learned about Buck when, well, and I say when it's appropriate because that means when it's convenient to the story. But we really didn't learn a lot about Buck ever throughout mm-hmm. the thing. You know, he had a set of skills. He was obviously a pilot and a fighter, and he knew something about football. But I mean, we didn't. They didn't bury down his backstory a whole lot, and I think that's I think that's a better way to tell a fish out of water story. You know, don't show him in the water; show him after yeah. they're out. So <clears throat> it wouldn't be Roddenberry if we didn't have perfecting suspended animation was quite easy, and we'd solved it within the first six months. Perfecting waking them back up again proved to be more difficult mm-hmm. until we discovered. That it was the human need to procreate that was the spark that man needed. Yeah, I heard that and I thought, I thought Gene, this Gene, is a first. Gene, Gene, Gene. This is a first. Okay. So then he and then he goes on. So, so after the inevitable jokes about sending male and female astronauts into space, and and for a second I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, that's a thing. No women astronauts. Got it. Okay. Um, but I was also thinking, so you've got these two popsicles, a male and a female popsicle astronaut. Yeah. How are they going to wake each other up if they're, if they're both under, both under. So that was, obviously he was, you know, so then we just found out that any drug that you could pump into the brain and stimulate brain activity would, would do the trick. Unless it's also a libido. However, you know, like like an aphrodisiac or something, you know, they get to kind of get them all uh, kind of worked up. So here's the thing that I totally missed when I watched this as a kid. I'm sure I well, I don't remember it, but I'm sure there is no way I would have ever got it when they're waking him up. And of course, he's waking up on his own anyway. But I don't know. I guess it's failing 
or, you know, without the brain stimulation, he's not going to go. And he's giving him this thing about, oh, I need this chemical injection. And the people at PAX apparently inject chemicals into the body. Mm -hmm. We don't have anything. We don't do anything like that here, which, you know, makes them sound like a bunch of hippies. Um, but, and drugless hippies at that. And so when he, he takes Lara Ah's hand and he's looking at her so desperately, he's like, make me want to live. Make me want to live. Um, never, never, never would have gotten that to mean sex me, baby. Yeah, exactly. And when I was watching this, I thought, no, he can't really. I, I, I literally was still trying to not apply the Roddenberry filter to that. And then the first thing you get Lara saying to him, you know, he says, how many days now? It's like eight days. I said, you ask me that every day. And I said, don't you remember? No. Don't you remember how I cared for you? Like, okay, nope. Should have put the Roddenberry glasses on wow. right away. Yep. Yep. She has been making him want to live every day. That is, and you know, that's one of the fun things. And I, I say that with sarcasm. Gene seems to delight in finding ways to get around the censors, and that's one of them. Yeah, and it, he he wanted to he wanted there to be at least a very strong implication of sex being a driving force. He knew he couldn't get away with that, so he completely did this instead. And I'm sure it went over my head. I'm I'm sure it went over my head as a kid because I probably saw that. And that part, that, yeah, in I'm sure it did. In 1973, 74, 75. So we're talking, you know, nine, ten years old. As a kid, you're probably simply thinking, help me live, yeah. is what he's saying. Yeah. No, oh, no, no. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's definitely looking for, uh, he's looking for some action. He's, he's looking for something to make him want to live. Yeah. He's, uh, sex me up, baby. Yeah. <sighs> um, however, if they don't understand the concept of injecting chemicals, how is it they managed to develop the tranquilizer darts? Ah, got him. Oops. Got him on that one. Oh, we won't use it for medicine, but we will use it for security purposes. Mm -hmm. You know, they're collecting all those books and they're all worried about... See, now this is another thing. <clears throat> all right. Let's take packs at face value. They're collecting mm -hmm. the great artworks. They're collecting the libraries that they can. They are saving the old knowledge as best they can. But apparently none of the books they have are like how to fix a nuclear reactor or, you know, anything. Oh, no. They've all got Shakespeare and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's all great works of literature. No textbooks. And is this another indictment against science? I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know because you would think they would have a better understanding of chemistry, too, and medicine. Again, I didn't get the impression that they were eschewing uh, technology. Was Far they, from yeah. it. They were trying to preserve what was best of mankind. And I, I, I just don't quite get where they're going with that whole bit about, well, we don't you know, do the chemicals thing. It's like, no, medicine good. You know, some chemicals good. 
like you don't you don't block them out as a category uh just because uh you know it's not art i mean what what about taking pills is taking pills okay mm. i don't know so it seemed kind of inconsistent and i think that's partially what may be part of the misdirect as to what pax is all about uh-huh so hopefully if we get to the next story then they'll be in a in a better in a better situation to give us a, a complete picture of the of pax world as it were um while we're on the Roddenberry bush here um i you know okay thank thank you for connect Roddenberry Bush connecting that to Quark. Oh dear God! I'll never. Okay, you've just scarred me by saying that. Quark. That's Quark. A line, that's a line from Quark. Is it? Oh, it's a line from all... Quark where they where they told the captain to teleport down and and turn left at the Roddenberry Bush or something like that. And it absolutely it is. I I, I will remember that forever. <laughs> Well, that doesn't surprise me. It's like, oh, you know, I never really occurred to me that Roddenberry does sound a bit like a type of plant until that moment. True. You know, it's like it's a guy's name. It's the guy that did Star Trek. I mean, come on, Roddenberry. And then suddenly, boom. Oh, Roddenberry. That's funny. Um, no, I wasn't going anywhere. That No, but what I was going uh, about was – and help me understand here because I cannot – what was all that stuff about the unisex people? Ah, does unisex mean something other than? Because I, I thought, I thought from you know my work with uh, the community I work with for Camp Quest that I had heard every term that was applied to um, various forms of gender expression. And unisex is never one of them. That's always no. refers to leotards that fit men and women. Correct. Okay. So this is a thing that Roddenberry was just trying to apply to androgynous? I don't Sexless, know. Sexless, gender neutral? I, non-binary? non-binary? I mean, that's the buzzword today. Right. Um, but- I don't know. Um, I could only assume that we were talking about you know, another mutant population – that is now genderless. See, now I don't get that. Uh, I mean, I, it's, it's a possibility. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching. I'm, I'm assuming. impression was because – okay, so after Lara is dismissed as his uh, nurse, uh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, say no more, they bring in the other girl, Sinjin Smythe or whatever her name was. And, and here's my problem. They bring in another girl, Okay. They bring in this girl, and immediately Dylan Hunt makes a comment about her being boyish. Yeah, she's got short hair, and she's not wearing a dress, but right. that's a woman. There's a yeah. woman who's walked into the room, and suddenly you're making comments about her being boyish or androgynous. or And, and then she gets on about – on her high horse about – well, you know, it was lust that destroyed the world, and so we've got rid of lust, and that's how we live our lives. And and I'm the way she said that, I'm like, well, no, wait a minute, but these are humans, and everyone we see at PAX is obviously a man or a woman. And taking that, you know, I'm not 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 going into the 
non-binary and traditional, but but from in terms of just what you're seeing, everyone there appears to be a man or a woman. Even the one that they're claiming is androgynous yeah. appears to be a woman. And they're not, we know there's re- uh, reproduction taking place because Obviously, we see children. We see children. We see people there. And, you know, I'm like, okay, so is this another thing to make Pac seem alien to us? Is that they're, they're you know, he's using unisex to mean genderless, neutral. I, I don't know what. Or or celibate is is even more likely. Or oh, I didn't know, get that at all. It, well, but you know, she seemed very you know like oh, you're interested in my pancreas and this that and the other. And I I, I I I I got the impression that this whole thing was frowned upon. And then right after he's gone away, found out that the bad guys are really the bad guys, and then come back to Pax. And when they give him the tour of Pax that isn't run by the spy. And they show him, you know, look, we've got these amazing operas and all this artwork and all this beautiful stuff. And they turn around a corner and there's a man and a woman kissing. Right. And they're like, oh, we got caught. They run away. We got caught. Yep. And the guy says to them, even some of our younger people are turning away now from our unisex ideal with the Primus's permission. So these introduce the concept that they are bringing back sex. To the world, which, you know, obviously Dylan is more than happy to give on to the plans with there towards the end of the story. But, you know, that was, to me, that was the moment that that the part at the beginning, which didn't quite make sense to me, like, okay, they couldn't hire an actor that looked more androgynous. Maybe they couldn't, you know, she's not a particularly bosomy woman or anything like that. So, I mean, maybe they went through the lineup and said, that's the most boyish actress we can find in Hollywood. Get her. But I, it didn't work that way for me. You know, it was just like a woman walks into the room and just click off. And, but when they get to the end point and they talk about how it's with the Primus's permission and stuff, it sounds to me like it's almost a religion. Unisex is, is a, a, a philosophy, a way of living their lives. An oath of celibacy or something. Obviously, yeah. they still have kids. How do they do that? But yeah, yeah, it, it, there's a there's a huge inconsistency in presenting this idea, um, and then using and a term the, that doesn't mean that. Well, no, it doesn't. And the fact that they don't even when they when they mention it, there's there's no explanation. Dylan seems to understand because he's not questioning it, and you know, with with a with a person who desperately wants to be made to live. Um, you'd think he would want to know what that's all about, and he's not questioning it in the slightest. You know, the only people who are are you know, it, it, it's us, it's the audience. Like, well, wait a minute, what are you trying to say here? And how do you how do you explain your community uh-huh. if if this is if we're to take what you're saying at some kind of face value? And what what is that supposed to mean? Please, somebody explain it to me. Yeah, I think it's it's meant to raise questions and then. Something that Gene was going to, you know, like, like uh, tease us with and then at some point, you know, explain it later on down the road? Yeah. And I mean, I, th- I, think, I think that they are – well, I'm going to come out and say it. They're wrong. They're wrong. Lust isn't going to destroy the world or at least not that kind of lust. Not, you're right. You're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, we, there's – Lust and, and power. I, I, yeah. Different thing. Yeah, it's – and I, I really dislike the the phrase that they say. I'll, I'll take it a little uh, – in a little different direction, but I do agree with you. When she says, you know, lust is what destroys us. Uh, uh, to lump 
sexual drive and romance and affection and a drive for companionship, you know, to lump that in with lust is, is highly disingenuous in my opinion. Um, if, but you're right, you know, we're talking about, you know, lusting for power, uh, control over others, that kind of thing. Yeah, that, that is bad. But to just say lust in general, um, that's, that, that's irresponsible. And coming from Gene, I mean, okay, I don't want to, you know, go too much, in, you know, into the man's personal life, but, you know, anybody who knows anything about Gene knows that he, uh, he liked the ladies. He's a lusty fellow. He was a very lusty fellow. So what's he doing? Is he, is he like, point, you know, acu- pointing an accusing finger at himself by saying something like that? That is It's a, such a bizarre line. Is it, is it something that, that he wrote in a, and boy, are we making, um, we're pulling, we're, we're stretching here. Is it, is it, is it something he wrote in a reflective moment when some point in his life had kind of blown, you know, I, I would imagine that somebody who keeps mistresses, I don't know, but my guess is that somebody who has mistresses probably has moments in their life where that backfires on them, right? I mean, yeah. You get found out, something goes wrong, you lose something. You, you lose custody of your kids. You do, you know, whatever it happens to be. Things go wrong when you practice to deceive. <laughs> and so, you know, maybe he was sitting there in a moment in his apartment, having lost everything he owned. <laughs> you know, thinking, yeah, lust is bad. I'm, I'm writing this script. I'm, I'm going to put that in there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I doubt that. But, you know, maybe. Maybe he's also showing us that sometimes the pendulum swings too far. You know, sometimes we don't necessarily learn the right lessons from history or we take them to an extreme that's ridiculous. Or maybe he's taking them to the extreme to make a point that it's ridiculous. I don't know. That's a possibility. But again, and you're right. We don't know because the way it is presented to us, we don't we're not able to grasp that sense of irony. I mean, if you're going to present some kind of uh, a message like that, you take something to a ridiculous degree as a means of education. At some point, you have to you have to let the viewer know. Yes, we had at a, least a payoff, and they spent time and money to do this, right? I mean, yeah. they they clearly. Wasted. I mean, the actress has no actual purpose in this story, in that context. You know, the 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 scenes that she has, the fact that she's got short hair, if that's what makes a woman look like a boy, I don't know. Um, Whatever it was supposed to be, they wasted time and lines of dialogue and bits of footage to put that idea out there. To then do nothing with it, really, right? Other than just be an oddity. Yeah, lots of uh, little payoff, and in, in a lot of this, I mean, you're 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 dropping all these these. It's almost like breadcrumbs, but they don't lead to. They don't take you anywhere. Yeah, but I will say this: he did avoid, to a degree, he did avoid pilotitis. My my. Not mythical, but my observation that I've made before, that when you have a pilot, they frequently, like, let's say they make a 90-minute instead of a 60-minute show. They spend 60 minutes setting it up, 
and then they have to have a quick 30-minute adventure at the end to show you what the series is going to be like. And here they didn't do that, or they reversed the formula. They got him into PAX, which is the framing story, and then they got him out really quickly. Yeah. So that we don't really get the PAX story. We get some of it at the end, and we some of it at the beginning. But, you know, it's it's not this clearly delineated half, two-thirds, whatever, of the show about the setup of him getting to the future. And then, you know, a little bit just to show what, what it's going to be like when he goes out to the planet where the dogs run the city, you know, or whatever it happens to be. So um, um, uh, kudos for that, for breaking that formula just a little bit, but not, mm-hmm. not by much. Um, one thing I do want to say that I think was an interesting line, and I can't remember exactly where it occurred, but they're talking about the collapse of civilization. And we're get the, the, getting the Turanian lie, so we don't know exactly what's going on or what really happened in the past. But one thing that they bring up that Dylan Hunt latches onto, and I think is probably meant to be true, was that when the scientists were gone, civilization began to fall apart because we had built it too complex. I, okay. you, you can't, we can't maintain Palo Verde nuclear power plant anymore. You know, if, if, if there was a huge decimation of 90, uh, decimation would be 10% of the population, Nova nation, whatever, 90% of the population died, right? Would we have anybody left that would know how to keep the electricity going? Odds are no. You know, so right. these things are going to fall apart. The question is, of the 10% that you have left, could they somebody get in there and figure out how to keep it going? They certainly wouldn't be able to do it right off the bat, but do we have the knowledge? Do we have the information? And if, if the catastrophe then led to the destruction of much of the manuals or the, the educational materials on how to do that, you know, the society is too too complex to continue in its existing form. Whereas if you went back to medieval times and you took a village and you wiped out 90% of them, okay, well, it probably happened quite a lot, but the 10% remaining would carry on just fine for the most part because not a whole heck of a lot of specialized uh, training there. Mm -hmm. A little bit here and there of the blacksmith or whatever, but um, is that a indictment of technology that the world is too com- is that so. a bad thing that the world no, is complex I, I would i would not have oh wow i mean wow i you know I, it feels like an indictment i don't agree that it should be and, it does you know, we go feel on like a show like when you go on to a show like star trek the next generation technology is obviously you know uh, a, a huge important part of what has made the world the place that you can be in and 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 live this life i mean the replicators and the the free energy and these are all the fruits of technology that have led to man to a place where he can live in a utopian society uh-huh so you know i mean clearly there's there are two sides to the same coin because if you look at earlier trek you have things like m5 computers are getting too uppity uh, landrew other things where technology gone too far, um, Mary, uh, Mary, you know, trying to say live a long life, that's going to ruin things. So 
Oh, there's an God. uneasy, there's that, an that's, uneasy that, balance here. That's, but, that's feeling like the whole Mary Shelley apology thing again, though. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, and then all these people, what do they want? What do all the people in the future want in, in Genesis 2? They want Dylan Hunt's knowledge. Yeah. They want it back. They have their world. Their world collapsed because they lost the people who had that knowledge and, and they desperately want it back. So, not exactly an indictment because nobody's going, yeah, that was bad. But at the same time, there was a risk associated with it. And and it was bad because they lost everything when they lost that knowledge. Um, I, I don't know what they were trying to tell us overall. It's just, I, you know, it's like, it's, here's an idea. This is kind of an interesting idea. Toss it out there and not go anywhere with it. Well, I don't know that I have anything else. I really don't have much of anything else. Uh, I mean, except I'd just be repeating myself if I did. <laughs> I just, I was disappointed. Yeah, I, and, and for that reason, I think we should do planet Earth to see if. Is there any redemption? If there's redemption to it, because I, I remember it being different. And clearly, it must be planet Earth or strange new world that I'm, that I'm remembering. So, um, we might as well, I, you know, there's I only can't... so many Gene Roddenberry pilots out there that as far as I know, there are the five, right? There's Spectre, Quester, Quester tapes, tapes, and then the three Dylan Hunts. And I'm not a hundred percent sure about the last Dylan Hunt, if that's really a Gene Roddenberry, but we'll check on that. I think somebody else may have done it completely. And then I think we're, we're out of the Roddenberry game. So, ah. Anyway, Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, a pleasure. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol, or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.